Some men were yes. taking advantage of people sexually. Other people were taking advantage of others financially. Yep. And he's addressing them both at the same moment. He yep. says, like, these are both related to love, brotherly love, affectionate love, and you should not be doing either of these things. God, yeah, God is not sense. a God who takes advantage of people. Welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel is a ministry that's dedicated to speaking the gospel out of every corner of Scripture. In Luke 24, Jesus told his disciples that every part of the Bible is about him. In each episode, hosts David and Seth work through a passage of Scripture to see how it's all about Jesus and his good news. Let's jump in. Well, welcome everybody to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. We are in our second conversation looking at the letter of First Thessalonians. Last time we looked at how the church in Thessalonia, Thessalonia? Thessaloniki, Thessaloniki Thessalonica, yep. um, was like, they had like a three-week crash course with Paul. Yeah. And uh, yet, three, three weeks of Bible school. Yep. <laughs> yet, yet that word was functioning in them so powerfully because Jesus was working in them that they became this church that was resilient through the suffering that they had to go through because of the local persecution. Mm-hmm. And Paul is writing to them, thanking God for the word that's been at work within them. And, yeah. uh, and we kind of talked a little bit about how, how the... suffering advances the gospel. And we also talked about how it's God working in us that really sanctifies and transforms us and makes us resilient through mm-hmm. suffering. And now today we're going to be talking about the coming of the Lord. Among other things. Among other things. Yeah, Paul, I think you can tell I'm just excited about one you, thing. You can tell. Everybody's <laughs> excited about one thing at the end of First Thessalonians. But Paul, after like praying for three chapters, kind of pivots and he has like, three major categories of teaching mm. he wants to talk to, to his uh, the Thessalonians about, and he wants them to be sanctified. He says, this is God's will for your life, that you would be sanctified, mm. uh, which is really interesting. Which just means holy. Which means, yeah, becoming more holy. Yeah, you, um, which is which then just means becoming like God. Yes, right? becoming more like Jesus yeah. as he acted Leviticus on Leviticus said, be holy as I am holy. Be sanctified, uh, be holy, yeah. Yeah, and yeah, which means look like me. That's right. Do the things I do, live the way I live, think the things I think. Yes. Uh, and so the process of becoming holy is sanctification. That's they actually right. have the same root word. In, yes, it's, that's right. It's holification. Holification. Yeah, okay. Becoming more so like God. He wants and, them to be sanctified. In particularly three areas. Okay. One concerning their sex lives. Oh, all, all right. Was, Just, all here we go. Was, uh, another uh, concerning their like work ethic. Oh yeah. And finally, uh, concerning their grief. Mm. What does it mean to be whole? Grieve in a way that accords with the resurrected Christ. Okay. Yeah, and those are the three things that he talks about. All right. And he folds in the talk of the coming of the Lord in his exhortation. Uh, in his teaching to them about how to become holy as it relates to grief. Okay. These seem like random topics. Yeah. Uh, and I'm trying to like put them together because last time we talked about how Timothy, you know, they had to, fl- uh, so Paul and Silas had to flee Thessalonica whenever the, the Jewish persecution broke out. So they didn't get to stay and teach the church as long as they wanted to. And so Paul sends Timothy back to the church to like, hear news of how things are going in Thessalonica. And Timothy reports back that one, even though they're suffering, they're staying faithful and it's growing. Two, that uh, some rumors have been spreading that Paul and Silas were just there teaching for money. And we talked about both of those last time. Yeah. But then the third thing we talked about was there are just some deficiencies 
in what Paul was able to teach them in the time that they had. Yeah. And he needs to come back and address those. Is that kind of the category to put that well, in? Or? Uh, yes and no. Okay. So what's really interesting about the book of First Thessalonians is that it contains several uses of the phrase, as I've already told you, or mm. I have no need to teach you about, right. or I mentioned previously that. And so Paul, in most of these cases, is reminding them of things he's already taught them. When he was with them. When he was with them. Yep. And he's just offering further encouragement along those lines. Okay. And I think two examples will be helpful here to, okay. like, to like emphasize why he's doing that. So he brings up in his work ethic section a, a, a command to not be idle, to like... To, to work hard as he and Silas worked hard. They were, mm -hmm. you know, worked a day job so they wouldn't be a burden to anybody else. Oh, right. like, yes. And some people in Thessalonica were not working hard and taking advantage of the generosity of others mm -hmm. by not working. So he's like, you shouldn't do that. And he says that in his first letter. And he mentions that he said that to them personally uh -huh. uh, while he was there on the ground. And then in second Thessalonians, that issue comes up again and it gets an entire chapter. Okay. So there seems to be like a problem that he was not able to get to the root of while he was on the ground in he Thessalonica. He addressed it, but it went deeper. It went deeper. Timothy says, this is still a problem. You should address it again. I he see. addresses it again. And then by the time the second letter rolls around, it's like such a problem that he spends a whole passive whole chapter discussing it okay and another one would have been um another example it's a smaller example mm. at the very end of chapter five paul just gives 14 like rapid fire <laughs> commands uh rejoice always oh, like yes. do all these things right um and one of them is to test and judge prophecies well mm. and one of the things that he mentions in second thessalonians is that there have been prophecies that have come up that have contradicted paul so they failed to um, test prophecies accurately. Mm -hmm. So a lot of what's happening is here. He's reminding these new believers of things he's already taught them. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, there are some gaps in their knowledge. That's right. And Timothy's reporting on that to Paul, and Paul's addressing that in his letter. That's right. Okay, that's that right. makes sense. So, and, yeah, I just, again, it's but just... But why yeah. the randomness of these things? Right. But I think on another level, it's like, what's more perennial and global in scope than sex, worth, and work, and death? I mean, yeah, yeah. It's like these yeah. things. Like <laughs> these are true. like the things of human living. Yeah, that's and it's true. like how? What should you do with your body? What should you do with your money and your effort? And what should you do when people die? When people die, yeah. like these. Are, that's true. They're very big issues. <laughs> so it's that's like, fair. So it's like in some sense they don't feel exactly random either. Yeah, they're they're core issues. Uh, that will come up when somebody converts from the kingdom of the world to the kingdom of heaven. Right, because everybody has an opinion about right. what you should do, how you should have sex, and how you should, what your work ethic should be, yeah. and what you happens when you die. What to do with your body, your money, and your dead? Yes, <laughs> like these are like okay. everybody. Like these are basic dis yeah. discipleship one hundred and one. Okay, um, that's that's helpful. And yeah. the other side of it is we're only getting one half of the conversation. That's right. Is like there were they, they had a history. They had. They had spent hours and hours and hours and hours together mm -hmm. teaching, asking questions, learning about each other's lives, and now Timothy's telling him everything that's going on, and he's just writing the other side of the conversation. And so right. what might seem random to us is actually very pastoral and calculated on Paul's side. That's right. Okay, cool. Let's jump in. Where do you want to start? So let's let's talk about sex. <laughs> Baby. <laughs> Baby. Um, <laughs> chapter 4, uh, verse 1. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are already doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. So he's just saying, 
Keep doing what you're doing. Yep. You already know everything we taught you. This is the will of God, your sanctification. Right. You are becoming more holy. Uh, and in particular, let's start off with that you abstain from sexual immorality. Hmm. That each one of you learns to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion or lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. So referring to their pagan Gre- Grecian Thessalonican culture that and no one transgress and wrong his brother and sister in this matter because the Lord is the avenger in all these things as we told you before and solemnly warned you hmm. so apparently I think much of Greece and Thessalonica in particular was known for its like um, sexually permissive lifestyle that favored men's expression of sexual pleasure right. at the expense of those of lower social classes than them. That's right. Uh, so what he's pointing out here is like, okay, you're Christians now. You don't act like the gods of the Greeks. Right. Who you were act, always committing incest and doing all sorts all of things with humans. Things and, yeah. uh, you act like the God of the Bible. Yeah. You control yourself not for not for taking advantage of other people, mm. but for yeah. Don't you don't use your body to take advantage of other people below your station. You use the facilities of your body to serve and bless those. And it's like yeah, you were called to purity, not impurity. Yes, you're called to holiness. Holiness. Yes, that's yeah. right. And then related to this, he says this. Therefore, uh, he says now concerning brotherly love, mm. you have no need for anybody to write you. So it's interesting. He like stacks all these commands about proper use of your body during sex and right. tacks it on to commands about brotherly love. Hmm. And he says, you're already doing the brotherly love part really well. You have no need to, for anyone to write you about this for you hmm. yourselves have been taught by God to love one another for that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you brothers to do this more and more and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs um, and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Hmm. So apparently what was happening is not only were some of the men in Thessalonica just not educated enough or like convicted enough of a biblical way of using their bodies and sex and taking advantage of other people as they were used to doing, mm-hmm. they were also some group that, of people there who are taking advantage of the generosity of others, being dependent on the generosity of others and not working hard for others' benefit. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Does that connection make sense? Some men were yes. taking advantage of people sexually. Other people were taking advantage of others financially. Yep. And he's addressing them both at the same moment. He says yep. like, these are both related to love, brotherly love, affectionate love, and you should not be doing either of these things. God, yeah, God is not sense. a God who takes advantage of people. Right. It's right? Like, you guys are doing great in the brotherly love thing. Let me add one bit of nuance to it real brotherly christ-like love does not take advantage of others that's right it doesn't harm others that's right yeah whether through sex or economy that's right okay that makes sense uh one thing i've i've heard before Mm -hmm. i don't i'm curious if you if you stumbled on this as you were studying was that these actually go together yes yeah and he might be referencing um like some kind of vassal or household servant or something that's exactly right Mm -hmm. however um we had a really hard time finding out that particular um, situation behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. So that could have been the case. That could have been the case. That's a, an easy way. You can read that into this pretty easily. Yeah. But I think it's probably just easier to say, like, there were some people who were underworking yeah. uh, and taking advantage of others' generosity. 
and there were other people who were taking advantage of people sexually. And Paul says, none, neither of those things accord with brotherly love. And mm. let's find, let's, let's, let's center on holiness. Let's be holy yeah. as God is holy. Let's be sanctified in this matter. Work with your hands, pay for your own stuff, mm-hmm. be generous to other people, and then don't take advantage of people just because of your higher social station and demand sexual action from them when that's not the way that God has designed sex or marriage to look. Yeah. And he also talks about doing that like in front of outsiders, right? I mm-hmm. think you, you mentioned that. Um, yeah, verse 12, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and to be dependent mm. on no one. So it's like he's, and like Paul, like you said, was not dependent on the church when he That's was there. Right. He worked night and day so mm-hmm. that he wouldn't be dependent. Um, and uh, he did that as a testimony to those that he was witnessing to. Mm-hmm. And so it, it seems like he's asking the Thessalonians to mirror that. That's right. To be dependent on no one so that those who are watching see something unique in that way of living yep and are called to yes what you're doing so it's like it, i was like i was trying to find a connection point to the rest of the letter you yeah, know yeah, yeah and it's like okay your suffering is a testimony mm-hmm. right to to everybody around macedonia it's it's spreading it's changing your whole civilization yeah. uh and now also the way that you um manage your sexuality and the way that you manage your economy like your money and your work both of those can be testimonies too. Yeah. Both of those can impact and influence the world around you as well. Yeah. Uh, it's just interesting. He's giving yeah. he's giving them more weapons for the battle that they're in. Yeah. If you go down, just skip down to chapter five, verse twelve. He expands on these these um, these commands a little bit more. He says this. So we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work be at peace among yourselves. So apparently there were a class of people, potentially the leaders of the church who mm-hmm. had acted like Paul and Silas. They were working hard and right. being generous with other people and le- like serving others by leading them well and perhaps even providing for them mm-hmm. when um, they needed help. So that's why he's saying you should honor and esteem them, right? And we urge you brothers to admonish the idle and encourage the faint hearted and help the weak and be patient with them all. So see that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Mm. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, giving thanks in all circumstances. So it seems as if these commands are talking to the commands that we have just, we've just read Mm -hmm. in chapter four. And all of those commands would be a very clear indication to outsiders mm. of a different kind of community. A holy community. A holy community. One that, that looks like God. That respects their elders, mm-hmm. who works hard. They support each other when they need it. They celebrate and rejoice even when they're suffering. Who right. are doing good to the faint-hearted when they could just cast them, when they could have otherwise just cast mm. them out. This picture of a community is really compelling to the Thessalonican culture. Yeah, definitely. And I think it makes me think of two things. Like, because I, I always want to get to like the why, you know, why, mm-hmm. why is he talking about this? Uh, and it's like, well, don't do that. So you, you don't go to hell. You know, like that's not yep. his driving force here. He's, he's doing it for holiness, you know, and obviously also we've been talking about that. It would be a witness that the, the Grecian culture that they're permeated in um, mirrors their Grecian gods who are promiscuous and licentious and probably uh, you know, favor males over females and it can get abusive. And so uh, he's like, let's image God, right, in a community that images Grecian gods. Yeah. And let's create a different community, a separate community, a holy community 
that shows the rest of your neighbors what God is like yeah. by how you manage your finances and how you use your body. Yeah, verse 7 of chapter 4 says this, For God has not called us to impurity but in holiness. And mm-hmm. I think that kind of like sums up everything that you're trying to say here. Mm-hmm. They were copying the gods that they knew. Mm-hmm. The copying the gods of the Greco-Roman myths that frequently took advantage of people, frequently had sex with people they shouldn't have, mm-hmm. frequently abused people. And they were acting as they saw in their po- the myths of their popular culture. They were acting like the gods. But there's another god mm-hmm. who doesn't act that way. And what how like how do, how does this relate to the conversation? Well, what is God like? He's a generous God who mm. gives effusively, and He's also a God who um, self sacrifices yeah. in order that others may prosper. Right. Um, and His um, blessing generally tends towards creativity. It's generative. Mm-hmm. It creates things. So how are they using sex in ways that doesn't create life? Destructive ways. In destructive ways. Right. Uh, there, it's more about pleasure than it is about bringing new image bearers of God in the world. Mm-hmm. It they are not being generous; they're being stingy and s- uh, selfish. Mm-hmm. So they should image the God of the Bible, right? Instead of imaging the gods, the pagan Roman culture. Yeah, which he said a couple times was his goal in chapters one and two. He's like, be imitators. That's right. He's like, it's all about being imitators of Christ. And in chapter one, he says, the whole world knows how you've been turning away from Mm -hmm. idols to serve the living and true God. They're in the process of turning away from all the idols of Thessalonica to the image of God. And here are two two more ways to continue that path forward. I just think it's such a helpful, like, thing to camp on for a second, like we have been, to talk about the why behind Christian morality. Mm -hmm. Because I think so much of it can just be either, well, because God said so. Right. Or because you don't want to be a sinner and, yeah. you know, suffer a sinner's reward. Uh, or, you know, like there, yeah, there's right. all the it's like that's the right. reason we do it is, I mean, one, because it's the healthy, wise way to live in the world. Right. Like God in made world the world that, yeah. a certain way and we live with the universe's grain when we follow the creator. But what he's harping on here is um, a Christian morality is one of the best witnesses to the world of what God is like. It's a picture of who God yeah. is. So picture God, show him to the world, image him, bear his image to the world. Yeah. And the world will see God and be changed. One of the side effects of following God mm-hmm. is that the world is compelled to follow God too. Right. One of the side effects of imaging God in our sex and our money and in our grief is that the world is compelled to follow the, the God that we serve as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It just, yeah, it just couches it completely differently. The other thing that I was thinking about with these moral commands was he talked about uh, in in chapter four, verse uh, two, I think, or one. Uh, yeah, one. He says uh, that you may you ought to walk and to please God. That mm-hmm. when you were reading that earlier, it just stuck out to me because I I sometimes I think about displeasing God, mm-hmm. which uh-huh. is not being said here necessarily, right. but it's like that I could actually be a pleasure to God, mm-hmm. that God could enjoy, that God enjoys my life. Mm-hmm. Like that mm-hmm. the way I mm-hmm. image him actually makes him smile. Yeah. And like the, like, like, I mean, one of my favorite things, like for a friend, you know, that I'm hosting at my house or for my wife or my children is when I do something that 
just makes them laugh or smile or have a moment with like a bite of food or something mm-hmm. that's just like oh man that was pleasing mm-hmm. and like that was one of my favorite things to do is to please someone because yeah. it's just so life-giving it's so joy-making and the fact that yeah. i could do that yeah to the creator of the world that i could live in a way mm-hmm. that actually fills god with pleasure it's fascinating the uh the way the Old Testament talks about that mm. is that when sacrifices are offered in the temple, the smoke of the sacrifices yeah. goes up and it's described as a pleasing aroma to God. Mm-hmm. So like barbecue always smells great. This is true. Uh, so like God is accepting an animal sacrifice and he is accepted as a pleasing aroma, something that's enjoyable to him. Mm-hmm. And so what's, I think that's probably that pleasing God language is a callback, yeah. a hyperlink to this old sacrificial language. And that's so what's cool. interesting is these people are not offering sacrifices, but they're making sacrifices out of their lives. That's right. They're the barbecue. <laughs> you yeah. Know, like, yeah, right. They're, they, they are the living sacrifices, the, holy and pleasing to Right, God. that like God inhales mm. and sees like, this is a good thing. This mm. is the way I, I, I hope yeah. for my people to be. Which is ultimately what Jesus was. He was the sacrifice that was mm-hmm. pleasing to God. Not only because, and it's not just that God, oh, God really enjoys sacrifice. That's not what we're saying here. It's that, in Jesus's death on the cross and in Christians pursuing a holy life, God looks at that and he says, that's what I look like, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. that's a mirror to me, the most beautiful, holy, gorgeous thing in all of the universe. Yeah. And whenever we mirror God, he's like, "Ah, oh, yes, you're starting to look yeah. like me. That's what I look like. And he takes pleasure in it because we are filling up and, and displaying and embodying the best thing in the world which is himself. And I think the thing that Paul points out explicitly here is in um, verse five, he says, don't take advantage of other people Mm. uh, when it comes to sex. And then don't take advantage of people when it comes to finances. Because why? Verse six, um, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. Yeah. As we told you before and solemnly warned you. The part of the good news here is not simply that we please God yeah. by our um, uh, our willingness to like accept his moral commands in our right. life. But it's also that when Jesus comes, he comes to do justice against those who take advantage of others mm-hmm. and who do so maliciously and abusively. Jesus comes solemnly to deal severe justice to those who misuse their body and their lives mm-hmm. to the detriment and harm of others. Right. Um, and that's going to be a pretty significant theme that's picked up in the next verses. Yeah. Before we jump there, one last thing, just because I think you've nailed something really important about there's this avenging that God is going to bring, mm-hmm. you know, um, against those who are breaking his moral commands uh, so that they are harming others. Yeah. Um, and I think for the Christians in Thessalonica and for us today, it can we can feel like it's our job to respond to that moral brokenness. Mm-hmm. But in in a lot of times when we do that, we end up breaking God's moral commands in the process. We want to be the harbingers of justice. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And that's why he's like, hey, don't repay anyone for evil. Like, don't repay, right. don't repay evil for evil. Always just seek to do good to everyone, even those who are doing the wrong thing or wrong things mm-hmm. against you. You know what? Instead of complaining and yelling at them and throwing it in their face, rejoice, pray, give thanks. And it's like, so some, I wonder, I just, I, yes. I don't know. I'm probably overreaching yeah. here, but it's like, I do wonder if 
you know, the, the suffering Christians receiving the generosity of others are like, you know what, I am just going to idle out right now because life's hard. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm being persecuted and I'm just going to not mm-hmm. have to also work. Like that just is a lot. Yeah. And it's like, uh, and I'm going to do that because it's like I'm sticking it to somebody. I'm not going to go to my, right. my pagan boss's job and work for him anymore because I don't have to. Because I, and you're like trying yeah, to stick yeah, it yeah. to him. You know, I, I, yeah, 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 I'm yeah. just, I'm curious. You're, yeah, I'm, I'm reaching. You're, but. Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's a very human thing yeah. to be like, oh, when I'm wronged, I want to lash out in some way totally. by underperforming or right. anxiously trying to get even in some way. Right. And he's like, and, He's like, no, God will judge those things. Yeah, he'll so, he'll take care. So of you those go, things. you you continue to work, you continue yeah. to give, you continue to pray, be thankful, repay evil with good, uh, and in that you're continuing to image God. Mm-hmm. Like that is right. holiness. We were evil toward God, and God repaid that evil with the ultimate good, right? right? By coming to us in His Son and sacrificing for us. So, um, yeah. Anyway, that's pretty cool. Okay, so like, those are like mm-hmm. two of the moral commands. Or yep. did, we, did we do three? We've only done two We've because done two. The, the, the third one is about death and grief. That's right. Okay. Death and grief. Okay, death and And this grief. is one of the first places that we enter into a conversation Paul did not have an opportunity to address hmm. uh, the Thessalonians beforehand. So he starts off chapter 4, verse 13, but we do not want you to be uninformed about those who fall asleep. So, And that's people who die. That's people who die. That's okay. right. So presumably... Timothy came back to Paul after his visit to Thessalonica, and he said, hey, they had a question for you um, about about the pe- people who died. About uh, what happens when a Christian dies. That's right. And so he's like, okay, let me talk to you about something that we didn't get a chance to cover in mm-hmm. our uh, three weeks of Bible school. <laughs> um, <laughs> and this is what he says. Because we, so we don't want you to be uninformed about those who are asleep so that you may not grieve as, as others do who have no hope. Hmm. So the point of this is to give a... What does it mean to be a Christian who believes in a resurrected Jesus to grieve well? Yeah. How do Christians who believe in resurrection grieve those who have died? Right. Because it's a different thing for us. We believe in life after death. That's right. But also, if your like, Christian friend's like mother dies, you're not going to be like, hey, don't worry about it. That's like, right. That's not a good way to grieve either. <laughs> that's right. So what's a Christian response? That's that's exactly Christian right. Death? And presumably what's happening behind the scenes here is that Timothy isn't just reporting a, a general question about death, mm. but a specific question about death. Okay, and what's that? They've been suffering right. under this persecution, and some of the members of their fledgling church have died under the hand at the hands of either mm. the Jewish or the Thessalonican authorities because of their faith Mm -hmm. and so like what happens to these brothers and sisters who have just said for their faith in jesus christ right what's going to happen to them especially in light of the fact that you told us that jesus is coming soon which is a whole nother thing that we haven't got into yet but like the last time i heard about somebody dying for faith in god in this way it was jesus and three days later he rose from the dead is that what we should expect like i wonder what all they're thinking yeah yeah so here we go so we don't want you to grieve as others do because since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, mm-hmm. even so, though Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. So the point here is simply like, we know that Jesus died and rose again, which means that anyone who has died will rise again too. That's that's the very general point here. Through Jesus. Through Jesus. Because he defeated death and has, and and I don't know how to word that, but like yeah. knows how to bring life out of death. That's right. 
And we declare this to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, Hmm. will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So a lot's going on there. Yeah. Right? Um, Let's start with the most basic things. Okay. Whatever this means, it's meant to encourage these believers. Yeah. And to help them to grieve in in light of resurrection. Mm-hmm. Right? That's what this is meant to do. Yeah. And he said it says, You're worried that because some of your friends who believed in Jesus died before the coming of the Lord, you're afraid they've somehow missed out right. on Jesus' coming. And he's like, You don't need to worry about that. He he's gonna raise them. Jesus died and rose, so he will raise those dead friends of yours from the dead. And yeah. together, one day, we will join God in the air mm. um, and be with him forever. We'll be with God forever. Yeah. You don't need to worry that your friends who have died before you will miss out on the coming of Jesus in majesty and power and yeah. glory. That's such like a nor- It's such like an obvious thing, I think, right. to a lot of Christians today because we've been separated from the coming of Jesus for so many generations right. now where you know millions of christians have died and, yeah. and we're not like well i guess they all missed it because yeah. only you know only the ones alive when jesus comes are going to be able to hang out with him because they're alive everybody else is dead right and it's just it's it's a it's funny in a way yeah but it makes like, total sense right, it's like, of course you'd be if you could... were living in that time when re- resurrection life wasn't like a normal category in your worldview You'd be like, oh, crap, they're dead. They're dead forever. They're dead forever, and Jesus comes, and they Gr- missed out. Greek philosophy did not hold out for personal resurrection. There would have been no real analog right. for the Christian hope that no. dead people are united with living people and experience the same victory of Jesus at the same, like, yeah, well, especially, together. Especially a bodily resurrection. That's right. You know, the duality that was in you know, Grecian Platonism was like body bad, soul, spirit good. And so if anything was going to continue on, it would be a spirit thing, but not a resurrection on earth where Jesus would come back. That would make no sense. Why would you want that old bad body? Yeah. And, you know, Christianity redeems that in the glorified body of Jesus' resurrection and puts the duality into a unified form. So, yeah, that's fascinating. Okay, so they're worried that... They're waiting on the return of the Lord, on the coming of the Lord, um, but some of their own have died, mm-hmm. and they're like, oh no, when Jesus comes back, they're going to miss out. And he's like, no, don't worry about it. When Jesus comes back, or when at the coming of the Lord, yep. I'm trying to use his words, at the yeah. coming of the Lord, the dead in Christ will rise first, mm-hmm. and then we who are left will join them in the air. Yes. Okay. That's That's exactly right. <laughs> That's exactly what he said. Okay. <laughs> uh, my assumption is that there's probably a lot of questions that leaves open. Yeah. Um, it's like, what does it mean to meet the Lord in the air? What does it mean for the dead in Christ to rise first? Mm-hmm. What is he referring to when he says the coming of the Lord? Yeah. I think we, I, we, I want to answer all those questions, yep. but I think like the, what we need to remember is that we are only listening on half the conversation here. Mm-hmm. And Paul one assumed his own, audience knew what he meant in such a way that it would encourage them yeah 
And so I think the really base, we, so we don't, it's like, there's so much speculation that goes on. What does it mean to the day of the Lord? What's the coming of the Lord? What does it mean to meet him in the air? It's like the point Paul's communicating is actually very, very clear. It's mm-hmm. like, Hey, you're worried that your dead friends won't join you when Jesus comes. Don't worry about that. Right. The, the dead are first on Jesus's mind. Why? Yeah. Because he died and rose again. Right. He's, They're closer to eternity than you are. Yeah. Like, of course he's going to save that's them. That's right. They died for suffering. That's Jesus's like home base, man. Right. He's, he's going he, to come for that. Priority. And we will head. all together experience Jesus's victory. That's right. Neither the living coming. or the dead are disqualified by either state from joining Jesus that's on right. his day. That's right. So yeah. that is the what he wants to give yeah. them. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about yeah. it. Yeah. Jesus that's right. who rose. Death is no problem for him. Yes. Okay. Cool. Because uh, we'll probably do... Because Second Thessalonians is going to bring up some of these same categories. Well... And we're probably going to talk about a lot of this in maybe a separate yeah, episode. Yeah, well, First Thessalonians brings it up again oh, in great. just a second. Oh, wonderful. So, when the coming of the Lord that they're afraid their dead friends missed out on. Well, mm-hmm. now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, of what? of this coming of the Lord that we've just Mm -hmm. talked about. You have no need to have anything written to you for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Mm. So it's interesting here. He's like, Jesus, he's quoting Jesus from Matthew 23, 24 and 25. And he is also putting this in conversation with the conversation he's just had about the coming of the Lord. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. So apparently Paul did have some time to talk about the coming of the Lord with them. Yep. but not full enough time to explain what happens to the dead when they right. die before the coming. Otherwise, of the they wouldn't have known to expect it at all. That's right. Or that it would come like a thief in the night. Right. They've had a conversation about the coming of the Lord. They just didn't know some of the mechanics. So what about the dead? That's right. Yeah. Okay. So um, he says, "Okay, I've already t- we've already talked about when this coming will happen, right?" And the answer is, we, we don't know, like a thief in the night. That's right. That's okay. exactly right. We don't know it's going to come like a thief in the night. What we do know is that people are going to be saying. Peace and security. People mm-hmm. are going to assume everything's fine, but then that's when sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and mm-hmm. they will not escape. So he's also quoting Jesus again here from yes. Matthew 24. Um, but what's interesting here is like who's being destroyed in this case is probably the most pertinent question. And why would that be a conversation that they're interested in? Mm-hmm. My guess is. Well, I'll save my questions. Okay. I'll save my guesses for later. He's just saying, okay, we know that God's coming and he's going to destroy malicious actors, right? Okay. At the very least, like people that are potentially harming you or maybe even more on the nose, people that have killed your friends. Hmm. We know that Jesus has come and very suddenly he's going to take care of them. He's going to do justice to them, just as we've talked about before. Um, he's going to bring justice against them. Uh <clears throat> But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. Hmm. For you are children of the light. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober. Having put on the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet uh, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for a wrath but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, mm. we might live with him together. So encourage one another with these things. Interesting. So he's ending this very same way he ended the first, the fir- that first section we just talked about. He says, 
we will be with the Lord forever. Mm-hmm. Therefore, encouraging other with these words about his conversation about the dead who die before Jesus comes. And he's ending this little section about the day of the Lord the same way. We'll live with him forever. Now encourage one another with these things. Right. Whatever he means here is for his people. It's for encouragement. It's for encouragement. Yeah. And I think what's happening here is on a very, on, on the most meta of levels. Okay. Is he's simply saying, when Jesus comes, the dead and the living will be with Jesus forever together. Right. Right. Whether we're awake or asleep, mm-hmm. everybody gets to be with Jesus if you're right. in Christ. And now we don't know precisely when mm-hmm. that day is going to come. Nope. It's going to come like a thief in the night. But it, yeah, but it, it should only it should only come like a thief in the night to those who don't know it's coming. Right. It'll surprise them. But you guys will be like, "Hey, Jesus, we're waiting for you." Yeah, we. You're aware that it's going to come suddenly. So yeah. when he comes, not really going to be a surprise, yeah. but it will be a surprise. Yeah. I, oh, I didn't know it was going to be today, but, but I was expecting it. I was expecting it. So how should we live then? Yeah. Not an anxiety. Right. Over the fate of our fallen friends. Yes. But soberly. In expectation of inevitable salvation right. that Jesus Christ has secured by dying and rising from the mm, dead. Yeah. How do you live in the in-between between now, right. between the suffering you're experiencing now, mm-hmm. and the ultimate victory and coming of the Lord? Mm. Non-anxiously, yeah. Jesus Christ has conquered death. Mm. He's going to come. Put on your uh, as a helmet the hope of salvation. Right. The hope of inevitable hope. salvation. Yes. And put on as a breastplate faith and love. So it's like, what is he telling him to do? It's the same thing he's telling him, telling him throughout the rest of the letter. Right. While you're suffering, yep. act in faith and love towards those who are persecuting. Yes. With the hope that Jesus Christ will come and you will live with him together along with your dead friends. Mm. And you'll live with him. That, yeah. That's all you need to know. That's what he wants them to know. That's what, that's what he wants them to feel. Yeah. Right? Which, what a great message, not only for people who have lost loved ones right mm-hmm. and we're curious how to process death in light of the resurrection of jesus but also what an encouragement to people who are currently suffering that's right right like it's great news for the bereaved and the persecuted to guard your minds with the helmet of hope that jesus is coming so whether you are living or dead when that happens um he will avenge the wrongdoer and he will be with you who have been waiting for him. That's right. I mean, what a, that's encouragement. That's super encouraging, yeah, that's right? Encouraging. That's like, that's super encouraging. Yeah. Wow. So what else in First Thessalonians do we need to talk about before we leave it? Um, I think the only thing that we need to talk about is what we didn't talk about. Oh, I mean, that makes sense. <laughs> um, uh, and I think intentionally didn't talk about. Hmm. I think when people come to these, these chapters in Thessalonians, what we really want to know is like, so when is Jesus going to come back? Hmm. When is the day of the Lord? Uh, what does it mean for Jesus to come down from heaven and us to ascend to him? Mm-hmm. We didn't talk about what any of those things mean in specifics. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of intentional. One, because I think there's a, so much speculation that ends up having to happen. Your interpretation of those passages depends on your interpretation of several other passages of yeah. scripture. And it seems like we don't have time to do all that right now. Sure. Maybe we will in a later podcast episode, but yeah. for now it's like then we don't have time. But the other thing is like Paul's main concern isn't to satisfy our curiosity about some of the specifics of the end of time, right. but to encourage grieving people. Yeah. And so if And to give hope to the persecuted. And to give hope to the persecuted. Yeah. So if we will we take away if, if we did this podcast and ended up talking for an hour and a half about those details we would have done paul a disservice to mm. get because he wants to give good news to the grieving and to the persecuted yeah 
And the good news for the grieving and the persecuted is that Jesus Christ will vindicate you. He will avenge you against those who have done you wrong, and you will most certainly live with him forever. Right. There is like, and that's it. Like yeah. that's the ultimate hope of these passages. However, it happens, whenever it happens, right. this is what he wants to give to his people. Yeah. And the call, the application that Paul makes is not so get it all figured out, what it's going to look like, when it's going to happen, how it's going to happen, the sequence of events in which it's going to happen. That's not his application. No. His application is stay awake and be sober-minded. Yes. Right? Which means what? Put on the helmet of hope and know it's coming. Right. Put on the breastplate of faith and love and and know in your heart that Jesus is who he said he is, that he rose from the dead, he's coming back, and then live in love with the world as an image of that uh, yes. faith uh, until the day you die. That's stay right. awake. That's right. Like, that's his application. Yeah. Is, like, live the theology. Don't just, like, figure out all the right. days and times and everything. And just to name it... What we've just read is incredibly confusing. Mm. So much so that Paul's second letter has to clear up confusion the Thessalonians had about the first letter. Oh, that's <laughs> hilarious. Isn't that amazing? That's very good. <laughs> so if we have questions, Paul's going to attempt to answer them yep. in the next letter anyway. Well, great. So we'll get we'll have our chance to an- have our fun with those questions. Well, wonderful. Too. Well, is that First Thessalonians? That's First Thessalonians. Awesome. That has been really encouraging, and I guess that's its point. That's huh? right. All right. If it hasn't been, we missed the mark. <laughs> we missed so, the mark, yeah. Yeah. Well, be encouraged that no matter what you're going through, uh, living, uh, or if you die, or those who have died, Jesus is coming, and that should provide us comfort no matter what mm-hmm. we're going through. That that's is very right. encouraging. All right. Well, thank you all for joining us in First Thessalonians, and hopefully you will join us as we move forward into Paul's second letter to this church, Second Thessalonians. We'll see you there. Thank you for listening to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel creates short films, devotionals, and podcasts like this one. Everything we make is free because of generous supporters like you. To see our resources, visit SpokenGospel.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel. Thanks for listening. See you next time.